Rolling Stone's Dan Epstein called the 1976 original a film that got everything beautifully, hilariously, and even painfully right. Ruth Batchelor of the Los Angeles Free Press found its 1977 sequel to be pure heart-pulling corn. And Seattle Times critic Moira McDonald said that the 2005 remake was extra innings on a game that's already played out. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of the Bad News Bears. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhood Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. Welcome to Ruined Childhoods, the podcast. This episode is no longer on deck. It is up to bat. <laughs> and hopefully we hit a home run. Hit it out of and- the park. Yeah, uh, an out-of-the-park Grand Slam home run where we are called safe at the plate. Yes, and this is the last episode of our Child Star Month. Yes, and what a month it's been. And we, uh, no, I want to, I, first of all, we got to thank our awesome guests for Child Star Month. Uh, Jeff Rubin, who joined yeah. us on The Wizard and so check fun. out liesgame.com. So much, so much fun. And Box Brown, who joined us on Heavyweights and his book, Child Star, is available everywhere along with his other books. Um, that, Tetris, Andre the Giant. Buy from your local bookseller. Yes. Support your local. Yes. Support your local bookseller in Seattle here. I'm going to give him a shout out. That's Pegasus. Pegasus Book Exchange. Nice. Powell's Powell's Books is one of the best bookstores that I've ever been to. It's incredible. And they're actually just starting to open up. Like they've been doing online orders that you can go pick up. Right. Um, and also they deliver, but they just announced that they're opening up two of their sections. Uh, and the place, if you've never been to Powell's in Portland, the original, they have a few d- locations, but the actual location, the, the main one is enormous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's enormous. Sprawling. So opening up the entire place is insane. It's, I'd say, comparable if you're a, a New York listener, comparable to uh, the Strand, but uh, it's, I'd say, comparable just in the sense that like they're both known for being enormous bookstores. Oh yeah, in in the the vibe, yes. I was trying to think square footage, having been in both shops. Mm-hmm. Uh, several times, but yeah, Powell's Powell's is if the strand was able to be bigger than it is in mm-hmm. being yeah. like in New York city, then it would certainly, sure. uh, but yeah, just such a great, uh, collection. I'm sure they have all of his books. Probably they've have, they yeah. have an extremely large collection of just all, every, every genre. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was really cool, uh, talking to, to, Box Brown and Jeff. And I think that we could have talked for hours and hours and hours with Jeff about the wizard and summer camp stuff because. Yes, I, <laughs> man, I, oh, man. 
as the wizard could have easily been two and a half hours long. Uh, yeah. yeah. The wizard episode could have been. The Sam Sprocket connection, the bicycle safety camp video, blew my mind. It, it, Jeff's it been made... talking about that forever. So uh, Jeff recently got married and we did a, a Zoom, over Zoom bachelor party, which was just hanging out. And we ended up... Uh, so Jeff and our brother Scott and a bunch of other friends, like they get together pretty much every Friday night over Zoom and they like put on a movie at the same time and just like kind of watch a movie. And for his bachelor party, we watched Stay Tuned, which is just like, why the hell not? And uh, at the very end of it, he wanted to watch the Bicycle Safety Camp video. So that's what we did. And then... We did not know that when we asked Jeff to be on the Wizard episode, we did not know that no. the star of that video was in this movie of all movies. This is the one that we had him on. So that's crazy. And, and has a small role, but like, as we discussed, is just makes the most about of it. Yeah. 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 Um, but, oh man, what was that? I'm sorry. You made me think of something. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, recently had an experience where Scott was, Scott was assigned to pick the movie for Friday night movie mm-hmm. night and consulted me on it. And we thought we, had, cause usually I think it's kind of like the, like Roadhouse was, I think the kind mm-hmm. of, you know, that's the type of movie they usually watch. And we talked about. Because Scott wanted to do something, ah, you know, a little bit different. He said he was thinking in the direction of Ace Ventura, which my response was, I was like, yeah, th- I mean, that seems like something that, you know, most of, you know, most people from that generation would watch Ace Ventura every now and again, dis- despite the problems. I watched it recently. Yeah. yeah. It's something that everyone, put, that y'all put on and we laugh at, you know, the same things that, you know, the... The just wonderful bits that Jim Carrey does in that movie. And then it gets to the, you know, in hindsight, transphobic part right. of the movie when everyone just goes, ah! um, yeah. but it's interesting because Scott said he, you know, that everything about that. And I was like, yeah, that sounds like something I think, every, you know, most people put, you know, check out, you know, oh, Ace Venture is streaming. Why not? I'm going to put that on. Right. And, uh, I don't think when nature calls was in the conversation. I think this was when nature calls is pretty good. I I mean I reference. I think I recommended war games. Hmm. Um, there was another one. Yeah, I was just kind of like thinking about what was streaming. I think like they were they were going to do war games, and he was yeah, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. And there were a few other ones that I threw out there. Oh yeah, maybe that one. Maybe that one. They ended up doing Ace Ventura. Oh okay. <laughs> yeah, but it was. It was really funny because I, I, I checked back in with him. I was like, ah, how did it go with war games? He's like, yeah, we did Ace Venture. It didn't. Oh, okay. Yeah. It didn't. So I I, I want to do a one more thing while we're on the subject, still a little bit of our wizard episode. Just like many other things in that last episode, we breezed past so much because we were just talking so much about so many different things. And we were talking about you had mentioned that you thought that you remembered seeing a small version of Nintendo Power magazine that was given out at screenings of The Wizard. And you were right, there was. So there's YouTube videos of people like flipping through it. Pocket Power. Pocket Power, right. And there's like interviews with like Fred Savage and, you know, stuff like that. And what's what's so interesting is that 
yet still there were no ads for the wizard in Nintendo Power. So it's like they weren't going to promote the movie, but they were surely going to have the movie promote, promote the magazine. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. We, yeah. We touched on that. But yeah, and I, of course, I looked back and I was like, really? Were this, was there no mention of this movie? And yeah, couldn't find a single yeah, one. Right. Um, I have a one more thing. Sure, go ahead. It's very brief. Uh, I noticed that today, I believe, on Netflix, they debuted a documentary series called High Score, which is Mm. about, and I was, I got excited because I was like, oh, is this going to be a series about like video game competitions? And it's not. It's about the history of the classic video games and kind of the, the beacon, like the eighties, that breakthrough Uh era in video games and how did Nintendo get involved? I haven't watched any of the episodes yet, but I read the episode descriptions and it looks really interesting. So anyone who's kind of craving more video game centric material. Yeah, I think that that the nostalgia doc is like a huge genre like the past five years. Yeah, I I like the focus of this one where it's not just like, here's a bunch of toys you used to love. Like there's a lot of a, a lot of the Netflix ones about I think there's one specifically about toys and the. The graphics right. like the Hulk Hogan action figure. And I don't watch that. I watched all those VH1 series mm-hmm. where they were like, ah, the 80s and wacky. Oh, wall walkers. Michael Ian Black pops up and yeah, Doug Benson's uh, there. Chris Jericho. Yeah. yeah, all of them. But yeah, anyway, just wanted to throw that out there because that I think just dropped today. I have a way back one more thing from, a, from an episode from a while ago because I got some new information, Dan about our Flatliners episode, because I talked to our mutual friend who we mentioned on the episode, Joe Labratio. And for anybody who doesn't remember or hasn't listened to our Flatliners episode, there is, we, we know this guy, Joe Labratio, great dude. Uh, he was in maybe your graduating class in high school. Uh, he graduated the year after, after okay. me, but so, we did a lot of you theater were close together. In, you yeah, were close we in were high homies. school. And then uh, when I lived in Los Angeles, I was in touch with him and we met up a few times because he is uh, in the entertainment industry. And I happened to, so I I sent him a Facebook message years ago about something completely random. He responded to me like four days ago. He was like, oh my God, I never saw this. I never look at Facebook. So uh, I just hadn't seen this. And we started chatting and I, he was like, so what have you been up to? And I mentioned that you and I were doing this podcast. And I was like, it's so funny because your name just came up a bunch of times. Because in Flatliners, for anybody who doesn't know, there's a character named Joe and a character named Dave Labratio. Dave Labratio? Yeah. Yeah. David Labr- so, that's Kevin Bacon's David Labr- character. It's Kevin, yeah. Kevin Bacon's character. So it was tough for us to, I was telling him, like, it was funny for us because we kept on slipping on the name because of him. Here's some interesting information that he just gave me. Joe Labratio's cousin went to school with Peter Filardi, the writer of Flatliners, and named the character for Joe Labratio's cousin. Your no jaw is Joe way. Hway. Cause all because I'm I mean, I've known Joe Labratio for about as long as I've known the movie Flatliners. Yeah. And it, I've wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it never came up. 
Right. Well, it's well, he responded and he was like, oh, my God, of course, I'm familiar with this whole situation because we even commented on how like he must have been very aware of this because when that movie came out, everyone was aware of it. And if somebody yeah. has your, let's say, uncommon last name in a movie in Kevin Bacon's characters, your name, essentially, then... You might find out about it. So nothing like when Welcome to the Dollhouse came out and the main character uh, yeah. was Dawn Wiener. Yeah. Can't imagine that was fun. Well, and I always wondered <laughs> because movie. Todd Solance was from Livingston, where we have family. And <laughs> we're going to talk about Livingston in a little bit. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, we are. Okay. Uh, yeah, we are. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that said, do we have anything else? To, uh, do you have anything else that you want to bring up before we talk? The only about thing the- I want to bring up is the beer I'm drinking in honor of Morris Buttermaker. Uh, well, I will then bring to my bringing lips it up the, to my lips. The glass it feels so good. Uh, <laughs> I I don't have a beer because uh, the gout, but. My Jameson whiskey, which may or may not be any better or worse than the beer. Yeah, right. So we are talking about the bad news bears on this episode. It was um, came out in 1976. We're about the first one. The first one came out in 1976, directed by Michael Ritchie, whose name came up for me right before we decided to do this episode because I just on a whim decided to watch The Candidate which he also directed, um, mm-hmm. which came out a few years before this. It was starring uh, Robert Redford about a a guy who the Democratic Party wanted to run for, I believe, Senate with the idea that he would lose. And it's just about his whole candidacy. Mr. Jarman says that, says that he's taking his case uh, to the public. Well, then why does he refuse to meet me in open debate? We have to build the last track. I'm sorry, I'll have it fixed in a second. Anyway, it's a great movie. I've never seen it. It's a really, really good movie. I liked it a lot. It's It's streaming on on one of the uh, platforms right now. I believe HBO Max it is is streaming Sounds on. Sounds about right. Because I was looking into some Michael Ritchie movies. I'd watched a little bit of Downhill Racer, which was his oh. first movie cool. with, uh, with Robert Redford and Gene Hackman. Mm. And in looking at, a, at Michael Ritchie's filmography, you really do see – and he's got – he's got movies like Fletch, um, mm-hmm. the, the Golden Child, right, the Golden Survivors, Child. Couch Trip – and a lot of sports movies that mm. uh, he directed Cool Runnings. Oh, did he? Next team up is Jamaica. All right, fellas, that's us. Let's go. Here we go. Today's our day. This is it. Come on, guys. We can do it. Therese. See you at the finish line. With the kinds of push right, starts you guys are capable of, we might actually see the Jamaicans win an Olympic medal. So this is it. We could see history in the making. Feel the rhythm. He directed Cool Runnings. He directed uh, a a movie, movie. a movie that I have a lot of love for, even though I am disgusted by James Wood. So it's hard to watch it. Digstown. Oh, uh, Digstown. Yeah. Also co-starring the great Oliver Platt, Bruce Dern, Louis Gossett Jr. Uh, And maybe that's one for us to talk about another time. Sure. 
Um, uh, Michael Ritchie uh, did Wildcats, where uh, Goldie Hawn oh, yeah. coached in high school with Woody Harrelson. The first Woody and Wesley pairing, Wesley Snipes, Woody Harrelson. Oh, was that their first? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I don't Very think there cool. was anything before that. Yeah. But yeah, so Michael Ritchie has had like a, um, you know, kind of a storied career with a lot of variety, but it seems like he really just kind of has a knack for the sports movies. Well, if you want to talk about variety, we should talk about Bill Lancaster, son of Burt Lancaster, who wrote this movie and directed pretty much just this and The Thing. Well, or wrote. Yeah, he wrote. Oh, sorry, wrote. Yeah. Just yeah. this and The Thing. But like, I think he did one of the sequels or was it just characters by? I don't, I don't remember. I think he wrote. I do think he wrote the script for Bad News Bears Go to Japan. Okay. But in if the name sounds familiar, he is the son of Burt Lancaster, yep. who was the inspiration for Morris Buttermaker. Right. Well, I mean, this Bad, Bad News Bears was very much inspired by Bill Lancaster's childhood. I think that he was more of the Toby character, a dud baseball player. And, you know, uh, I don't I mean, know the full story, but we'll, we'll get into the synopsis because that that that's going into the, you know, the right. kind of the the plot but just to, before we get into the uh, actually no i want to save that for <laughs> something i was gonna bring up but i want to wait until after um there after are the so synopsis. many interesting things to bring up about this movie and the people involved but before you go into the synopsis i just want to say that and i've seen this movie before and but never really watched it the way i watched it recently mm-hmm. and it's I have to, yeah, no, but I don't focus on homework even that much. But I did extra credit, so mm-hmm. watching a sequel. But this screenplay, for a screenwriter who pretty much wrote yeah. two movies, both of them excellent, but The thing I which am, I just watched the other night for the first time. I haven't seen it the first it time that I remember. Time. Yeah, and I, yeah, I watched that before we decided on Bad News Bears. So it was funny that like these two movies that I happen to watch... It might have been two nights in a row. And then Bad News Bears is, you know, Bill Lancaster, Michael Ritchie. But man, what a script it it's is. It's really great. It's really great. So great they kind of Xeroxed it <laughs> and did it again. That <laughs> <laughs> some of the pages got a little smudgy. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll uh, we'll get into that. We'll get into Here that, is yeah. a synopsis for 1976's Bad News Bears. Bob Whitewood is a SoCal attorney and city councilman. He's also the father of shitty little league baseball scrap Toby. When Toby and a bunch of other kids don't make a little league team, Councilman Whitewood sues the league and they agree to form one extra team in order to accommodate the leftovers. You know what that means for the league? That means bad news for the league. Bob hires former baseball player and current pool cleaner slash alcoholic Morris Buttermaker to coach and manage the team, titularly called the Bears. Though he doesn't take coaching seriously at first, things change after the Bears face a major humiliation against league hotshots, the Yankees, coached by Roy Turner, whose competitiveness is only rivaled by his hot-headedness. While Buttermaker attempts to help the boys improve their game, he seeks the assistance of 11-year-old Amanda, the daughter of an old flame who has an arm of gold. After some bargaining, Amanda agrees to join the Bears, greatly improving their chances of winning, or at least not losing. 
During one practice, a foul ball is recovered by a scrappy little motorcycle riding punk named Kelly Leak, and his ability to throw the ball across the field, directly into Amanda's glove, gets Buttermaker's attention, and he does what he can to get Kelly to join the team. The group of outsiders, now complete, gets actually good, and they make it to the championships, against, bum bum bum, the Yankees of course. This could mean bad news for the Bears. By this point, all Buttermaker wants is for them to win, and he abuses Kelly's skills and Amanda's sore arm to the point that the kids are feeling pretty sour. But things change once the Yankees pitcher, slash Roy's son, Joey, decides to defy his dad's orders to intentionally walk players. When Joey throws a pitch that hits a batter, Roy loses his damn mind and verbally and physically abuses Joey. This means bad news for Roy. In retaliation, Joey throws a game-changing pitch and then walks off the field and away from the game with his hot mom. Buttermaker realizes that he hasn't been a good coach and proceeds to favor the scrappiest kids in the team so that everyone can have fun. The Bears end up losing by a hair, but celebrate a fun season with beers. When the Yankees try to apologize for being rude the entire season, the Bears tell them to shove it. And what does that mean for the Yankees? Dan? Bad news for the Yankees. That means bad news for the Yankees. Yeah. So, uh, I'm going to run through some cast highlights. So, Walter Matthau brilliantly plays Buttermaker. So good. He's so good. I love it. Vic Morrow plays Roy Turner. Dan, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Do you know how he died? I sure do. Yeah. Oof. Um yeah, Vic Morrow, for those not familiar, was filming Twilight Zone, the movie, in which he played a racist who, uh, after a Terrible, night of, terrible, terrible person. Yes. Just the, the, off, the character. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Plays a racist who uh, is out drinking and, and just making all these racial like, comments, really offensive, steps out of the bar and and finds that he has stepped out of the bar onto a street in uh, Nazi-era Germany or a Nazi-occupied territory. I forget if it's specified. And that he's Jewish. He's wearing a yellow star. Mm -hmm. And then he... So he's pursued by Nazis and then wakes up, I want to say, as a... He's in Vietnam, I think, but... Yes. Right. Which is where the tragedy... That's Yeah, it was a helicopter crash that he was decapitated by a helicopter rotor when i just happened to glance upon that my jaw dropped the same way that yours did when i dropped that joe labratio knowledge on you and i'm sorry in the synopsis did you say that he loses his head when joey hits the batter he loses his damn mind which i didn't know at the time oh no I wrote that synopsis. I wrote the synopsis before I knew that information. That is oh, terrible. Apologies boy. to the Morrow family. Yeah, for no. that because I'm sure totally good dude. Uh, just I, played really rude people in these two movies. In these two and things, I, yeah. I feel that I can't think of anything else that I've seen Vic Morrow in. But yeah, he's very effective. Yeah, Vic Morrow was in, um, let's see, yeah, Magnum P.I., Humanoids from the Deep with Roger Corman, The Last Shark, The California Kid. Oh, he's in 1990, The Bronx Warriors, which I've never seen. 
Yeah. Anyway, um, poor one out, yeah. Vic Morrow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This is a so I'm going to mention a character who otherwise would not be worth mentioning, but the league manager, Cleveland, is this woman, and she is played by Joyce Van Patten. Do you know who her brother is? Dick Van Patten. Of course. <laughs> yes. Uh, yep. So part of the, um, the wonderful Van Patten, and isn't there a a, a son? There's, 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 I believe, another one. Yeah. The so, Van Pattens are are a formidable acting family. Yeah. So uh, playing Amanda is Tatum O'Neill, who is fantastic in this. I mean, she already had an Academy Award. <laughs> the ladies nominated for best performance in a supporting role are Linda Blair for The Exorcist, Candy Clark for American Graffiti, Madeline Kahn for Paper Moon, Tatum O'Neill for Paper Moon, Sylvia Sidney for Summer Wishes, Winter Dreams. The winner is Tatum O'Neill. My director, Peter Bogdanovich, and my father. Thank you. She already had an Academy Award. <laughs> so Right. So for Paper Moon, which she was in with her father, Ryan O'Neill. Yeah. And, uh, you know, didn't do a whole lot more. You know, she, she did a, some guest appearances, mostly... Um, she had she she ran into if she had a small run yeah and I think she she had some I, I want to say I think she had some substance abuse issues right so uh, she was arrested in 2008 for buying crack in New York cops allegedly found two bags of drugs one of crack one of powder cocaine and an unused crack pipe so she was charged with misdemeanor criminal possession of a, of a controlled substance. Wrote a biography in 2004 called A Paper Life. So in that, she also talks about how when, you know, other tragedies, I don't want to get into too much of it, but other personal tragedies. So yeah, we don't need to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So fantastic in Bad News Bears. I, I heard that she did not have the greatest time making the movie just because it was kind of like a bunch of tween boys just wanting to hang out with each other and not wanting to hang out with a girl, which too bad, you know, but just goes to show you how good the acting is by all these kids, because it seems like they were a pretty solid team. Yeah. So uh, Chris Barnes plays Tanner, who is the most foul mouthed of the little kids <laughs> uh, who, you know, he did Bad News Bears, Bad News Bears in Breaking Training, um, did a few TV things. But aside from that, really nothing else and this kid really like stole the show a lot of times he knocks it out of the park he knocks it out of the park but he's like one of the scrappiest kids in the team but the most like short-tempered and just like wild kids no bird, no, get the why are you always picking on me what did i do to you Crate, you call me Billy Aiken, and thought about it first base. well he fights the entire seventh grade 
at oh, their school. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. So uh, and so he resemble he greatly resembles one of my daughter's friends. And whenever I see him, I just think of bad news bears. I told his dad that uh, recently. I was like, "Do you know that your kid looks like every kid on the bad news bears?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's like three or four of them that kind of have that similar, like Toby, Blonde, yeah. um, Jimmy, Jimmy is, is Jimmy in the right. Jim- there's one. There's one that has that. Yeah, Jimmy Feldman. Jimmy Feldman, played by who's, Brett Marks. Brett Marks, yeah. the gr- great grandson of uh, ooh, which one of which Mark brother Zeppo Marks. So Marx is the grandson of Gummo Marks and great Gummo. nephew of Groucho Harpo Chico and Zeppo, of course. And, um, yeah, so there's a did... joke about it in breaking training. Oh, is there really? <laughs> there's a re- well, it's like the team that they're playing is like, eh, this kid looks like one of the Marx brothers. Oh, geez. So we, of course, also have to talk about Jackie Earl Haley, who plays Kelly mm-hmm. Leak. And Jackie Earl Haley uh, during this time was certainly in. You know, uh, a bunch, he was in Breaking Away, um, and then he went on to do the other two uh, Bad News Bears movies, and then um, took quite some time off, and uh, I think directed commercials until coming back into the scene to be, um, oh, what was, he was in All the King's Men in the same year that he uh, and- was also children. little children, right? Yeah, I uh, which he was nominated for the Oscar for, and it was a it was a big deal that he was like returning to acting, which was kind of cool. You don't see a lot of people getting like fanfare for just like kind of coming back out of nowhere. No, it was a pretty big story. It, like, yeah. Well, because wasn't he? I think uh, for a while, I think he was just kind of living like he had a normal like a totally. day job that was not he in the arts. Moved or... to San Antonio. And then uh, Sean Penn asked him to come be in All the King's Men. And th- at that same time, he also did Little Children, for which he was nominated for the Oscar, which I th- I think that's a great movie, great book as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, heartbreaking story. And he plays just like a, such a tragic character. Oh, lonely women here and only a handful of men. The odds are on our side. Why wouldn't one of these women want to meet a nice person like you? You're not a nice person. You did a bad thing, but that doesn't mean you're a bad person. I have a psychosexual disorder. You better now. They wouldn't have let you out if you weren't. They let me out because they had to. Well, maybe if you found a girlfriend closer to your own age, you wouldn't have the bad urges so often. I don't want a girlfriend my own age, Mommy. I wish I did. If anybody hasn't seen or read Little Children, you should check it out. It's it's a pretty powerful it's powerful story. yeah yeah so, so yeah Jackie Earl Haley uh and then he and then later on he of course he was in the Watchmen movie and oh, yeah. was the new Freddy Krueger mm-hmm. yeah so yeah he was Rorschach he was a uh, pretty good choice as Rorschach for the Watchmen film yeah he was great so he plays Kelly Leak who is just so good he's so good at just like. He's so convincing at just like that little shit who like all the people in the town who like wanted to be like a nice, clean community. Like he's the kid who's going to ruin it for them. Yeah. He rides around on his moped and smokes cigarettes. Mm -hmm. He hustles the the adults at air hockey. Hey. Hey, punk. I thought I I told you to quit hanging around. 
catfish. What a great arm. Who is that kid, anyway? Of course he's got a great arm, Buttermaker. He's the best athlete in the area. But you don't understand. That's Kelly Leak. You guys talking about Kelly Leak? Yeah. That dude is a bad mother. He's talking about a loan shark. I bought a nickel from him last week. He said if I didn't give him a dime by Friday, he'd break my arm. It's un bandido. I don't know what he's talking about, but I like him. He's got balls. Why screw around, you guys? If the guy can play ball, he can play ball. I mean, let's get him on the team. anything better to do with themselves. Well, you must like those kind of guys. You sure do hang on the field often enough. There's a nice ass at the field. That's why I hang on. I hear you like to gamble. We go a dollar a game here. I don't want to play for money. If I win, you play baseball for fairs. And if I win? Name it. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, yeah, I was, I was trying to think between that and the, I think the remake, it is uh, like Skateboard. video games or, oh, it's oh, he's uh, skateboarding. Skate, skateboarding, yeah. 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 Well, at least that's how Amanda coaxes him into, well, her attempt well, or, to coax him into joining the Bears. Yeah, but I love, and I love that, that she's all, she's disappointed because uh, he, he's dragging her to go see the Rolling Stones. I know, I know, I know. In 1976. Yeah, can you imagine? I'll Uh, go. (laughs) So, I don't know if there's really anybody else in the cast who you want to call out, particularly. I I mean, all the kids, all all the kids are great. It's worth noting that the actor who played uh, who played Engelberg um, Mm -hmm. in the original film and that is. Cavagnaro. Yeah, Gary Lee Cavagnaro played Engelberg. And then between uh filming Bad News Bears and breaking training, he he slimmed out. He he got tall, oh, he yeah. slimmed out, and they had to to recast the role. He for he Paul Feigd. He That's feigged, just a heavyweights yes. uh <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, they recast him for the other ones. Interesting. They recast him for the other ones, and the other Engelberg is fine, but like the, it, he lacks. Like Engelberg is almost like the other Tanner. He's always yeah. pissed off, and yeah, it's so funny. Well, I think that also this movie feels like, as much as it is an underdog story, it feels like an underdog movie. Like the movie itself has just like a grit to it. It doesn't seem like it's likely to succeed. Well, it was a surprise hit. Mm -hmm. It's worth noting that it comes out, I think, at least six months before 
another very similar, similarly themed, similarly plotted movie that goes on to win Best Picture, Rocky. Oh, yeah. Right down to the ending. Yeah. Right yeah. down mm-hmm. to the ending where the hero doesn't get the literal win, they get the figurative win. Mm-hmm. It, like It follows a very similar storyline where- you know, he's up against it's, you know, guy from from nobody who's boxing in underground clubs in mm-hmm. Philly, and he's going to take on the heavyweight champion of the world. Yeah. And so it's it's so similar that you have these two. And it's so funny. You have these two movies coming out in the same year, which is really just one of my favorite movie years. Oh, yeah. Just. Uh, yeah, just because other favorites of mine, like Network and All the President's Men mm, and Taxi Driver, yeah. are all that year, and and and, and Bad News Bears yeah. and Rocky are on that are on that list. I want to point. I just I want to point out the observation that I made that so much of this movie, it feels less of the seventies and more of now. The whole yeah, plot is so? kicked off by this. Well, because what is what's more now you than got a, a Karen, a Karen or, yeah. or Kevin or whatever, whatever the mm-hmm. male version is in. Well, in in uh, the remake, it's uh, Marsha Gay Harden. Right. But you've got a lawsuit against the league because they yeah. won't put the crappy kids on the teams. And so the the. This guy, you know, Bob Whitewood sues the league and gets and then gets the kid. You know, it's it's the, you know, getting them the participation trophy or whatever. Sure. Uh, and then you also have it where they're not like these are these are the outcasts. These are the kids who get bullied. Even Tanner, mm-hmm. who it's the only kid Tanner bullies is Lupus because he's the like it's they're all at the bottom of. These are all these kids at the bottom of the pile. Yeah. They're scrapping to just be the one at the top of the bottom right. group. And yeah, so much of it. And I think that a lot of other uh, Michael Ritchie movies, especially his sports movies, have this in common where they not only have that external, like that challenge of, all right, well, we're going to beat the Yankees. The Yankees are the bad guys in this. But we also have to get over ourselves. We have to get past ourselves. Yeah. And you put these the this collection of kids together, and it really is about inclusion and what happens when you're like, hey, we're a lot more powerful. If it's like, look, and we might be, and and Tanner spells it out in that famous line from the movie that then gets carbon copied in Breaking Training, uh, where he drops a bunch of slurs, and I think yeah. it's what a lot of people associate this movie with. But first of all. Like Tanner goes off at everybody. Yeah. And also the movie is not about the divisions. It's about what brings them together and what Mm -hmm. unites them. Because it's Buttermaker, who's an alcoholic, who, you know, he does. You don't see him in the movie without a drink, I don't think. Yeah. Not even when you start to like him more. Yeah. Um. You know, you've got Amanda who doesn't really fit in with the like, you know, girly girls, but is trying to. Right. She wants to fit in into that group and read Cosmo and all that. And take but, ballet. And, and yeah. take ballet. Right. Right. But, you know, this like she, you see, like she's really herself when she's on the mound to Kelly, who's really trying to be this rebel and this, I don't need anybody. He ends up being, becoming a happier person. 
once he joins yeah. the, and it's it, and it brings me back to like monster squad and like rudy joining the monster squad totally yeah darren in in explorers the and i did have a while we're talking about kelly Mm-hmm. I had a question that came up while I was watching the original and then it is kind of like the sequel, like Breaking Training kind of put the kibosh on that question. But there seems to be such a tension between Roy Turner and Kelly Leak mm-hmm. and Roy oh, Turner's kind of, father, you think? Well, Turner's such a douche that I was like, I would could totally buy it if like, because Kelly's a little bit older than his kid. So mm-hmm. like... Yeah, what if Roy Turner either had it, like maybe had a had like impregnated Kelly's mother before he got married or whatever? But and then in Breaking Training, you learn that Kelly's father is Mike Leak, who works at a factory in Texas and is played by William Devane. Hi, I'm William Devane. William Devane. Devane. We're <laughs> let them play. Let the, he leads a chant in the Astrodome. It's magnificent. <laughs> Uh, William Devane is great in 24. Yes. Uh, he's the, is he the, like, he's the secretary, secretary of state or something like that? Secretary one, of defense? In secretary one of defense season. Makes sense. I think in one season, he's the secretary, either a secretary of state or defense. And then I want to say he's the president in another season. I don't care what you have to do. <laughs> I want to see Jack Bauer. Love William Devane William and his enunciation. Devane. He, for for me, it's all about just him saying his own name. Jack Devane. William Devane. When our country used to flex its muscle with battleships like the USS Iowa, the world would listen. It's time we return to the America I remember. Hi, I'm William Devane. There are dangerous forces everywhere pulling our country apart, threatening our economy and our way of life. That's why I'm going to do two things, support our military and buy gold from Roslyn Capital. Anyway, uh, sorry, we that's a that's a little that's a breaking training tangent. But if you take no bad news bears just on its own. Right. I would love to. It's a question I would have for Bill Lancaster is, is there a relationship with Roy Turner and Kelly Leak? Mm-hmm. what's going on because yeah but also Roy Turner has like when he when he hits Joey for for almost hits hitting Joey it but it's, it's also super like super powerful and it's on the one hand it's almost like out of nowhere it's like oh all of a sudden you're all about you're that dedicated to playing clean but yet you right. get it you also are not surprised mm-hmm. I wasn't surprised well, it's not that I, well, I mean, I'd seen it before, but it's not like I wasn't surprised. I was sh- just kind of shocked just to see the way that, you know, because the movie does just like have this very realistic feel to it, to uh, to see that happen with like no score under it or something, it just feels like you're in that moment with them. And yeah. like to you in like to see the reactions from people, I'm pretty sure that Buttermaker does a tear come out of his eye? I can't remember. It certainly seems like it. The tear comes out of his eye after he has the fight with Amanda. Right, right, right. That was when another incredibly effective moment. But while we're talking about those moments, it's worth shouting out the um both the the editor on the film and the cinematographer. 
because those moments in, during the baseball games when they are when, when it, it gets into that more I don't want to say documentary, but it's that, like oh, handheld yeah. that handheld right. camera that makes you feel like you're on you know sure. like also you're there on, on the, the note field. of the cinematography, the like first shot in the movie is actually pretty beautiful kind of incredible like it kind of is this swooping shot from like a field that kind of goes down to like buttermaker's car and it's i don't know uh, i Mm -hmm. it was a shot that i noticed and it's like i'm not always just like noticing shots and i don't know if it's because it's an unexpected type of thing in a movie like bad news bears so and we shouldn't be surprised because John Alonzo was the cinematographer on this, and I thought I had some notes here on the other movies he did, but his other credits, and this is why it's like, how is this movie an underdog? He was also the cinematographer on Chinatown. Ah, well, there you go. And the Magnificent Seven, and you mm-hmm. know, so you've got some like top-notch talent. Oh, and the sure. editor. The editor is Richard A. Harris, who, among other things, like off the top of my head, I could tell you he he cut Terminator 2 because oh, I've seen that movie so damn. many times. And <laughs> nice. True Lies and Titanic. So oh, wow. like you've got a top notch crew here yeah, working totally. on this film. But um, yeah, and just just a few more things about the screenplay is all the different storylines that you can follow throughout this movie that are tracked so well. And this is, by the way, also into the editing because they don't say it, but like you follow the progress of Tanner working as a shortstop Mm -hmm. and being able to stop the ball. And it's something that like Buttermaker works on him with in one scene, but then you just see it in the games where it's, he misses it. And then it's how he stops it, but he doesn't catch it. And then he catches it, but doesn't quite make the, you see this great progression and the storyline with Joey Turner, with his son, Mm -hmm. the interactions that his son uh, with Joey, uh, sorry, Roy Turner and his son, Joey, that Joey has with, uh, like Tanner and Lupus, Lupus yeah. where you see him bullying, and that's why it doesn't come out of nowhere when right when Roy finally like when Roy hits him, yeah. But you see that, and you see him kind of like, all right, out of boy, Joey. All right, yeah, out of boy, Joey. Do it, which do it, do it. and only because it makes sense to bring it up now, and I don't think it would later. But in the 2005 remake, one of the things that I think it fails at is kept capturing those moments because you don't get a scene with the son. I don't know. Remember if his name is Joey and that probably all, all the names are the same, but with Joey bullying Lupus. I want to come back to the to the remake because I we will. We will. Yeah. Um, but just some other great. Uh, so you think about the storyline. So there's Buttermaker just in his own redemption. Yeah, John. Right. Well, I also just want to talk about um, Ahmad. That was where I was going. <laughs> oh, okay. Good. Yeah. So um, Ahmad Abdul Rahim, who's played by Aaron Blunt, uh, who is, I've, is he the only black kid on the team? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who idolizes Hank Aaron and has these, like, I think older brothers who have been, like, great, like, athletes or whatever and when he's not good he feels embarrassed and he's not worthy of even wearing the uniform quite literally he strips it off and climbs a tree and the moment that buttermaker has with him is really beautiful where you know he bullshits the story about hank aaron not being good (laughs) you know he does it so well 
he does it so well and it shows i think that's probably even like the first glimpse of humanity for buttermaker you know because that's right after the first game i think and yeah he says whatever he has to say in a very convincing way to just like make ahmad feel like part of the team and feel like he could be a good ball player and the way that Lancaster handles the issue of race, which he does in a way that he addresses it, but doesn't dwell on it and doesn't mm-hmm. make it. He has it's in that scene in the tree when Ahmad makes a comment about uh, honky bullshit. He refers mm-hmm. to to Buttermaker's honky bullshit, and Buttermaker just says, "Let's not bring race into this. We've got enough problems as it is." <laughs> And aside yeah. from aside from a couple of other things like Ahmad, you know, maybe say like say I think he says later when they're playing against the Yankees, like this is for Allah and it's going way mm, out there, right. soccer, which yeah. isn't that's a religion, not race. But there's not and there's not to the to their credit, like they don't it's not like they're really racist. Like in breaking in breaking training, mm-hmm. you know, there's still like a tiny drop in there but in breaking training what i noticed was really just that they use the word faggot liberally in yeah. that movie well yeah. but they they go to texas and like they're playing these like uh this texas team and so they they throw that around a lot but but going back to ahmad uh i thought that moment was beautiful and it's one of many moments that buttermaker has one on one with the kids mm-hmm. that is just so touching yeah and shows that this guy might be an alcoholic pool cleaner. Right. But he cares. He gets invested. He's not invested at first. Right. For for him, it's all just about getting paid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where's my check, Whitewood? Love, love, love the Chico's bail bonds. And I love that it's just yeah. a visual joke. No one, like, no one says anything. It's just, it's there. And it's a visual and that makes it work so, so well. You know, and I wonder if the Bail Bonds sponsorship in Major League Two is the, is, uh, you know, in some way a nod to this, which it's funny because Major League is the only other baseball movie we've talked about on the show, I think. And and it's it's quite similar. Yeah, sure. Underdog story. And yeah, so the the bail bonds thing is uh, a a presence in both of them. Yeah, it's it's great. And oh, what is it? I, I just have a note written down and I forget. I didn't write down who says this line or. Oh, I think it's. I think Buttermaker says it. I forget who he says. Now, get, get back, back into the, the stands, stands before, before I shave, I shave half, off, your half your mustache and, mustache and shove it up, shove it up your, your left, left nostril. nostril. I love it's the such a Walter Matthau line. Like, there's something very Matthau about it. There is. There is. It's and like, I'm pretty sure he says that in Grumpy Old Men too. Like, <laughs> I could just hear him saying it, like, in every movie he's in. Well, Grumpy Old Men too has the connection to Catfish Hunter. He talks about Catfish Hunter in this, and then That's true. Catfish Hunter is the, the legendary fish that they're trying to catch. Right. That's true. I believe in, in the second. So... I could go on and on about how much I love the original and just <laughs> yeah, how much more. It's, it's I, really I a nice it. movie. It's really a nice movie. And I think that a lot of people look at it as something that's, I don't know, stuck in time with some of the language, especially that, that Tanner uses. But it's like you have to watch it with an understanding of like really what's going on. And 
it's it's a classic. It's truly one of the greats. I would suggest it it actually does hold up better. And even though, yes, you have to look at it that, yes, this movie was made then. So that's how the producers were allowed to get away with it. But tell me there aren't places in this country where you'd have a kid saying exactly oh, what Tanner said. Totally. So in 2020. Do you, you want to talk about the sequels or should we jump to the remake? Yeah. So let's just maybe breeze through the sequels. Uh, I haven't seen them. Okay, so I now I rem, these are the ones that I remember seeing a lot on TV growing up. Hmm. I remember like what like turning on HBO in the middle of the afternoon and okay, all right, Bad News Bears and Breaking Training, sure, why not? Bad News Bears go to Japan, okay, whatever. Which cranky old man is with them now? Which is kind of an odd format for a film, but yeah. <laughs> uh, it, so. I watched Bad News Bears in Breaking Training. I remembered Bad News Bears go to Japan pretty much just being a rinse and repeat where they, like Tony Curtis is and they they referenced the Japan trip in Breaking Training at the ver- okay. at the beginning and at the end. Well, the the whole idea is so by the time they do Bad News Bears in Breaking Training, which was released a year after the original Bad News they Bears. They came out pretty much like Three in a row. 76, you know? 77, yeah. 78. It was, hey, these kids can miss a couple of years of school and like, let's make some movies. Right. So they, so breaking training is where they, they are all of a sudden they have gone from being the, the first runners up, the second place team in wherever they are in California mm-hmm. to being all of a sudden. At the beginning of breaking training, they are the standing California champs, oh, and man. yes, and at the be- they know there is one mention of Buttermaker in it, and it's pretty much just when they're waiting for her- for their new coach, and someone goes, "Oh, it's not Buttermaker, is it?" To which I was like, "That's an odd reaction," and. They end up like with this new coach who they, who Kelly like get basically fires. Kelly fires their new coach. Okay. And then Kelly has also like decided not to play. Oh, also the music in this. We didn't even talk about the music for the original, which is they use Bizet's Carmen, the opera Carmen. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. For the music, which is so it's wonderful. Brilliant. The juxtaposition. The sequel uses the um, you know, Battle of 1812 Overture. The every time I go to to hum it, uh, I, I'm I come back to the original to Car- to Carmen, but there is also like a '70s like pop version of the overture, the Battle of 1812 huh. overture, that is in that that's like it's in the movie and it's a oh it goes da na 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 that's that's the song yeah. we're talking about and and there's like sometimes when you don't know you have to choose if you don't want to win you're gonna lose we're gonna go where the I don't it's like it's weird oh yeah and by the way the new coach that they get is totally racist he asks Ahmad if he could just call him like Bob or something like that because he can't like say his name. Uh, That's lazy. Oh, it was. It was. It, it's all. So the the sequel, and then like uh, Kelly brings in. Oh, because they don't have a pitcher anymore. No explanation. Buttermaker's gone. Okay. Amanda is gone. So uh, Kelly brings in his friend who has moved from back east, Carmen Ronzani. 
who's played by Jimmy Bayo, cousin of Scott Bayo, oh and also a cousin of whichever member of Vampire Weekend's last name is Bayo. I forgot his first oh, name. Oh, there's a Bayo and Vampire Weekend? Who is related to uh, RNC speaker Scott Bayo and uh, you can Jimmy Bayo. You my eyes rolling. I don't yeah. know if I that. Yeah. So uh, Jimmy Bayo comes in as Carmen Ronzoni. From back east. Yeah, he's basically from back like, east. He's basically like a 14-year-old Joe Pesci. And he's talking about how he's a great he's a great pitcher and all that. Of course, it turns out he can't pitch for shit. He's actually, I wrote down, he's the original wild thing. Oh. <laughs> uh because he like the first time he actually throws a pitch, he just throws it all the way out mm-hmm. there. And yeah. So they're they're going on this trip to Houston because the California champs are going to play the Texas champs and the winners go to Japan. So continuity. Gotcha. Now, in order to be able to convince the parents, because every now and again, the screenwriters in this series are like, oh yeah, these kids probably have parents who somewhat give a shit about what happens to them. (laughs) Uh, To, to appease the parents, they hire the groundskeeper at the field who, I don't know what is he seems to have some type of mental disability, but they teach him to say, hello, how are you? So that he can stand in front of the of of a house where all the parents drop the kids off. The kids all get into a van and leave without the groundskeeper, pretty much in plain sight of the parents. Like they leave at the same time as the parents and they all get into the van together while this guy is just standing on the front lawn uh, saying nice to meet you. And they, yeah, it's, it's not nice. Yikes. So they end up going down to town and Kelly, by the way, Kelly has decided to join them as we learn because his father lives in Texas. Ah, yes. So that's the aforementioned Mike leak as played by John. William Devane. I know you enjoy doing that. I do. Recognize that swing? No turn, over the top, weight on the back foot. Now that spells disaster. Hi, I'm William Devane, and that was a disaster. But not half as bad as the market crash of 2008. The government bailed out the banks, but who bailed us out? I didn't get any money. Did anyone replace what you lost in your retirement? Lesson learned. Protect yourself now and transfer your existing IRAs to a Roslyn Capital Gold and Silver IRA. Uh, So Kelly goes to the factory to look him up. Oh, and by the way, this happens after the Bears get not arrested, but police officer Lane Smith, uh, who you would recognize uh, from My Cousin Vinny. Okay. As the the prosecutor, uh, is just like they go into a hotel and they park their van in in a no parking zone and – the instead of towing the van, they're like, "Who who's with that van out there?" And and the woman who runs gotcha. the hotel's like, "I don't know, a bunch of midgets." <laughs> oh boy! And uh, yeah, well, I think she calls one of the kids a honky at one point, so that's problematic. But then they get to so they they finally are able to get there, but because they are late for the first practice, the coach of the other team has decided to call a, a different team from El Paso Hmm. to come. Now, the Bears show up at the practice field and see that there's another team already there. 
And the person who has arranged all this, who is an Anheuser-Busch rep named Cy Orlansky. Oh, boy. Cy Orlansky, played by Clifton James, is then finds out he's like, oh, wait a second. Those aren't the bears that are out there on the field. And he fixes everything. And he the bears are going to play because Devane sweet talks him. And Devane is just like, hey, if you don't have any tickets for the game, I'll make sure you get some. Uh, just get me Jack Bauer. <laughs> so they end up playing. But then they're supposed to play four innings in between a doubleheader at the Astrodome. Okay. And they start playing and they, they start playing and, and the game's going. And then an official comes out and is like, we have to call the game for time. We need to move on. And the kids are all upset because they were just kind of starting to do well. Like they were really shit in the bed for the first inning. And then they were kind mm-hmm. of starting to get it together. And then they, they call the game and, and the Astros start filing into the dugout where the kids are and the kids are, and Tanner's like, ah, can you believe this crud? They won't let us play. And, and one of the Astros is like, Hey man, let the kids play. And next thing you know, William Devane is out on the field uh, trying to lead a chant of let them play. And eventually everyone in the dome chants, let them play. And, and then you have all the other kids are off the field except for Tanner. Tanner's like, no, screw this. And he just throws his glove down, like sits on the field. And a couple of officials go out there and they're trying to capture Tanner. But he's running around and it's this whole like comedy skit going on and everyone's loving it. And then next thing you know, they let him play. And the Bears win. I have one question. Because they use a trick in the the Bears use a little trick in this. And I feel like I've seen this in a baseball movie before. I can't remember the baseball movie, but they do this trick where they uh, so the coach goes out and they have a, you know, meeting on the dugout and it's the first baseman, the pitcher, the catcher. And he tells the pitcher, Carmen, who by now has learned how to pitch. Tells him he's like, all right, you got to make it look like you're holding the ball, but the first baseman, Toby's going to have the ball instead. Rookie and when of this the guy year. goes, it is okay. It's rookie of the year. Thank yeah. you. Henry Ro- have- Rowan Gardner. Funky butt loving. Butt loving. Did he say funky butt loving? Oh, right. After he loses the, After the ability. He loses, yeah, his arm is healed. Yes. He, fl- he slips on the ball and it snaps back into place or whatever. And mm-hmm. yeah. So that was first done in Bad News Bears breaking training wow gotcha so that was breaking training it takes a lot of the the feeling out and something that michael ritchie had said about the sequels was that his movie was intended to kind of satirize the way that adults exploit their kids yeah for their own purposes and that these other movies really didn't have that and it was really just about uh, a team that is able to get really really good by the end of the season and then sucks all over again at the beginning Somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's the inconsistent coaches and the lack of parental guidance. It must be. So let's talk about the 2005 remake. There are so many reasons why it should have been good. And by that, I mean, the cast is kind of great for the most Mm -hmm. part. The adults in the cast are perfectly cast. Billy Bob Thornton, that was in the era where it was like, hey, let's get Billy Bob Thornton with a kid and we'll make him like curse and drink and stuff. I mean, this this was be what, great. a year after Bad Santa? Yeah, it was like right in that same era. Yeah. Um, I think there were some other ones where it was like Billy Bob Thornton. Well, there was also movies like Woodcock and- Oh, uh, yeah. 
School for Scoundrels, where it was, you know, this very this type of persona that Billy Bob Thornton was just like kind of doing over and over again. Yeah. And yeah. And then it's directed by Richard Linkletter, which I don't know if it's the right choice. <laughs> He's so good at so many. John, I have what? a theory. What's your theory? Didn't Boyhood um, start shooting around this time? I, yeah, I have a feeling that the bad news bears paycheck was used to to partially. Well, the paycheck, or just like they wanted him to direct it, and he's like, "I will direct this if you let me do this crazy twelve year project." Yeah, I, I mean that's I had the same thought too, because I mean I love Boyhood, and in a lot of ways, this you know. Boyhood would tie into the the spirit of Bad News Bad News Bears so much better than the actual remake of Bad News Bears. True. Yeah. Wow, really good point. So, anyway, clearly it was just like a hey, let's just get this thing done with type of situation. You have Greg Kinnear playing the um the Vic Morrow Roy Turner uh part and honestly, perfect for that role. He's yeah. perfect for that role. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Just like the probably former jock father who's, yeah. you know, just like the, his dream was to coach a little league team, that kind of person. Well, his and as dream you said, was Marcia probably- Gay Harden. I wonder, I, something I wonder about Roy Turner is if it was his ambition to play, uh, you know, to play professional baseball and the fact that like Buttermaker kind of did. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah, so that's kind of what I feel is going on. But you're saying, yeah, Marcia Gay Harden. Marcia Harden's perfect for the She's Karen great. role. <laughs> well, whatever the name was, but you know, the the mom who just is so annoying to the point that they're just like, fine, we'll make another team. Oh my God. Yeah. And then gender swapping, gender flipping that role really mm-hmm. um added a dimension. <laughs> right. And I think like I was saying earlier, it's pretty much like there's so much of it that's like the same exact script like beat for beat except you're missing those key elements what are you what are you making that face for no keep going what you're saying because i oh is it like it's yeah. missing the key elements of like where the heart comes in uh but you have like oh the scene where they're sitting around a pool and lupus is making him a drink which makes no sense because he's not a pool cleaner in this one he's a rat catcher or whatever yeah he's an exterminator he's yeah. an exterminator so it's like that scene doesn't really make that much sense well, and I think in general, what was kept from the original was like the stereotypes, mm-hmm. whereas the original, it was more about the sl- about slurs being used, but that yeah. the words really didn't mean as much like, you know, that they were that they came together. And I think that this one kind of it just tried to update the stereotypes, like having yeah. um like Troy Gentile's Troy Gentile of the Goldbergs, who plays right. uh the character Hooper? Hopper? Who uh one of Hopper. Those. I, Hopper. Yeah. But he's in a wheelchair as he makes yeah. a point of he's and he's and very he's, funny in that. He's very funny. I, I gotta give him credit. He's like when when he calls I'm him out like, in the last game, yeah. When he calls him out in the last game, and he's like, "All right, you're out in the you know right field, or whatever." And he's like, "Uh, you serious? Hello." <laughs> like, I thought that was pretty well done. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I thought I, I despite the fact that I found the script actually like kind of offensive. Yeah, in parts. Well, I thought the, thing the, per- is, the performances were 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 fine. It's just like 
they they updated it to remove a lot of the slurs but like you were saying with with that character but also it's like i'm pretty sure they still dropped you know a lot of homophobic slurs because in 2005 that was still okay i guess well yeah um yeah, there were a few things about it that didn't make sense. I felt also that the that this was really that it was trying to kind of cap capitalize on School of Rock, the popularity of School of Rock, mm, which came which out a great. couple of years earlier. Yes. Oh, it's wonderful. Which but is also like fantastic. But also that like it's trying to kind of give you the original. Like they even have like the hip hop remixed Carmen beats oh, in there. Yeah. You know, like record scratch. I can't do a good one. But uh but you've got and some some really great moments in it. Like I love the part when Kelly shows up to take his part on the team by claiming the jockstrap and cup, which I think he kind of right. does in the original, but it's much funnier. Yeah. I also I don't remember the kid's name who plays Kelly in this, but it's like he doesn't have what Jackie Earl Haley had. Oh like, no. He, no. No, not at all. No. He's kind of dull. So Sammy Kane Craft, who plays uh Amanda. I feel like she, you know, did an adequate job given what she was handed. Yeah, she, I think also, so Sammy Kane Craft, aside from doing, you know, this Bad News Bears remake was also like a, a young musician and things like that, but unfortunately died in a car accident. Very young. It's a very sad story. And uh, yeah. so- and she's a native of uh, Livingston, New Jersey. Right. That is where that comes up. She is originally from Livingston, New Jersey, which is right near where we are from. Yeah. So we'll pour one out for Sammy Kane Craft. Pour one out for Sammy Kane Craft. No kidding. So, um, yeah, yeah, you know, and it's just like she, she, like I said, with what she was given, she did a completely fine job. But she was, she was your less, she was a less typical. You know, like if you think of a tween, early teen star, uh, you know, like kind of yeah. like you were saying that the Kelly Lee kid who's, a, who's kind of a little cookie cutter. Yeah. I thought she stood out a, l- a little bit more. And I thought, she, yeah, like you said, she yeah. did a good job with what she had. And when I was editing the last episode and I was uh, chatting back and forth with Dan about what song to put at the end of the episode, I was considering putting the Phantom Planet song California for The Wizard, which if you've seen The Wizard or heard the episode, you know it's a very appropriate song. And I let Dan know that the Phantom Planet was going to come up in this episode because Phantom Planet minus Jason Schwartzman and I think one of the guitar players, Jacques, were the skate band that plays uh so rather than going to see the rolling stones uh kelly uh win like wins his bet and gets the the date with uh with amanda to take her to see this skate band and that's uh i forget what they were called in the movie but it was the guys from phantom planet so yeah i don't remember i doesn't he go, doesn't buttermaker go with them he does i don't remember why that's relevant at oh because I guess he doesn't want her going alone. I don't know. Uh, he ends yeah, up in a mosh pit. He does. He does. Yeah. yeah. By the way, Billy Bob Thornton in this movie reminds me of another actor who I know you and I both uh, uh, have an appreciation for. William Devane. What? 
how do you, how can you mumble the that name? How can you mumble <laughs> William? You got it, William Devane. You have to pronounce it. Damn it. Sorry, go on, Michael Shannon. Who are you talking no, about? No, uh, 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 no, no, Timothy Oliphant. Oh, I, I was Timothy watching Oliphant. it, and I was just thinking of like Timothy Oliphant, like in in Deadwood, and just like the that like you know smug look. Um, He's great. Yeah, yeah. Not not necessarily. We'll get into like you know whatever recasting later but yeah so i was thinking about timothy oliphant but there's we talked about the the roy turner outburst and how mm. whereas oh, it yeah. feels very sudden in the original it makes sense like you said before not it's not built up to right well also it's kind of like when greg kinnear does it it's like okay now here's the part where he hits the kid but then he doesn't hit the kid he just shoves him and it's like Eh. You know, it's like you're you're waiting for it to happen. And then it's like, I don't know. Well, also, when it happens, I think the circumstances are slightly different because I think in the original in the in the remake, Roy tells Joey to walk Engelbert to throw an intentional walk. Right. I don't I don't remember if that was the setup. But so Joey technically listens to his father because he tells him to walk Engelberg and he does walk Engelberg mm -hmm. by hitting him. Yeah. So it's much more out of nowhere and it he doesn't he doesn't hit him. Not that I think he needs to, but it just wasn't like if they were going to keep it was like the the writers of the remake decided that they had to have certain sequences. Yeah. Like like Lupus mixing the drink for Buttermaker but didn't necessarily think didn't notice that's why I wanted to point out the nuances in Lancaster's script and how and and how smoothly it follows all those different storylines, even like Engelberg's eating, like when he eats the paper yeah. off the candy bar, they they try they were like we need to keep the set pieces, but they didn't put them together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, and actually, I wonder if another aspect of it is um, that you know the remake was done in 2005 the original was done in 1976 in 1976 the MPAA had a very different system for you know the ratings for the movies so the 2005 remake was PG13 and ben, the original was probably PG yeah it was yeah well, so otherwise it would have been R or G <laughs> yeah it would have been R jaws so, was rated PG yeah so i'm wondering if like they couldn't do as much because if they did more, then it would be an R rating, and then that but was. What do you mean, like in terms of having of Roy hitting Joey? I don't know. Yeah, not hitting Joey because that know. wouldn't have made a difference, especially no. if it was built. I just think I yeah, I just think it was perhaps something that was that was rushed and something that that where the focus was more on appealing to the fans and giving you know giving the fans what they want to see yeah, rather than telling the story now did you watch the re do you have anything else that you want to say about the remake cuz i wanted to jump uh, back yeah nothing more i really want to say about the remake aside from the fact that it's just like i know that we talk a lot on this podcast about how you know, okay that remake does not erase the original one. So it's like, fine. Should it have been remade? I don't think so. Because I think that one of the things that made Bad News Bears special was the fact that it just kind of 
was its own precious thing. You know, it was like it had this grit to it. It was made in this time when it really needed to be made. I mean, like you said, same year as Rocky and I don't know, like it just made sense to be in that time. Whereas to do it in like 2005 or even now, it's like underdog stories have been done to death. And that's one of like the real original like kid underdog sports stories. And that also perhaps one of the original slobs versus snobs type stories. I kind of made that association as well, but I did want to, which comes back again in heavyweights. Exactly. Exactly. It's very, very similar. But uh, to your point though, uh, I wanted to cite the review in, in Rolling Stone by Dan Epstein, where he says that the 2005 remake with Billy Bob Thornton is a perfect object lesson in why great films shouldn't be subjected to remakes. That said, like to your back to your point, it depends on the film. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are a lot of great movies that you can do loose remakes of, uh-huh. loose, you know, interpretations, you know, inspired by. I'm not talking about uh, Blazing Samurai, but, <laughs> um, you know, there are other movies where really like close remake can be can be very good. And. Then there's other that there's others that like, yeah, maybe probably shouldn't be touched. And and I think coming back to it, it's it's kind of like, well, Bad News Bears didn't need a remake because it had tons of remakes from Mighty Ducks to sure. the aforementioned everything we've talked about. Dodgeball. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you keep you keep going. So it's it's almost like those are the remakes. It's it's, mm-hmm. you know, like you know speed was die hard on a on a bus mighty ducks is you know bad news bears on ice yeah (laughs) which bad news bears on ice would be an excellent way of reviving the property without doing something (laughs) yeah just put ice on the field yeah it's great yeah except i don't know when the next time is we'll be able to have ice shows so (laughs) that's not the first thing on the top of the list that i'm like lamenting so um, so anyway, Dan, yeah, where are we going? What, what would you do? All right. For everything, for all the reasons we've just said, first of all, I don't think I would touch this. I don't think I would advise anything else be done, but just kind of trying to find a few, uh, just something. What about an animated remake where they're actually bears? <laughs> that and i also i was like if there was going to be a remake and it's too bad like because uh, you could do a remake you could if the 2005 remake hadn't happened i totally think that the right writers and director could put together a sensible remake now i had as i was watching these things there were two actors that came to mind that i said i would like to see them play morris buttermaker because really okay. that's what it's all about that's what it's all about was like the remake was oh billy bob thornton is morris buttermaker that's everyone's yeah. going to want to see that but the so if we were going the more traditional route i think ed o'neill would okay. be a wonderful buttermaker but if I had to make a remake, if it was, you know, like gun to my head, you need to make a remake and you need to cast, you need to to come up with a cast. I would cast Samuel L. Jackson as Buttermaker. 
Oh, interesting. And it would be wonderful. Well, you know I love my Samuel L. Jackson. So Who doesn't? Uh, Who doesn't? Yeah. I think that'd be fun to watch. I uh, for me, the only thing that I could really think of that I would want to see happen would be a Buttermaker prequel. So a story about Buttermaker in the minors, because I don't remember, did he actually play in the majors? No. Yeah, he never actually played in the majors. So, But he struck but out he, like, Ted Williams. almost did. He struck out Ted Williams in like an exhibition, like a spring training game. Yeah, I think he, yeah, he did, right, he did an exhibition game. I think he pitched two pitches. Yeah, like I that. could, I could see his um, backstory. I, I, I'm, for, I'm picturing Jimmy Dugan, Tom Hanks in a league of their own. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, he's so kind of a good. similar, uh, similar buttermaker. But yeah, buttermaker so, backstory would yeah. be and and in the role of buttermaker, I think I'd put Mark Ruffalo. I would love to see Mark Ruffalo do something fun. Yeah. Not that Mark Ruffalo yeah. doesn't do fun movies, you know, the Avengers, but I would love right. to see just to see him do a like a just a, something like this. I would I Right. I mean, he did what, like 13 going on 30, uh, you know, he did Just like Heaven. Right. He did some stuff like early on and then, you know, I mean, Dark Waters not comedy at all. No, very, he did very, that, very not funny. Did the HBO series that that also looked pretty dramatic? Oh, oh yeah. I, I, we should, we should not forget to mention that there was a short-lived Bad News Bears TV series, right. which co-starred the child star nexus of Corey Feldman. Oh my God, that guy! He just He's he everywhere. does it all. He does it all. He's everywhere. So how long did that show last? Two seasons. Two seasons. I remember that I remember watching growing up. I want to say like on Nickelodeon. I think they ran it. Uh, they ran they ran it in syndication. Okay. I couldn't find it anywhere to watch. I was looking for it. And, huh. Unless I did a very poor job looking. But, so there was the Bad News Bears TV series, 1979 to 1980. Yeah. Corey Feldman. Yep. Yeah, so Jack Warden is Morris Buttermaker. Uh, yeah, Jack Warden was the first Buttermaker that that I knew, that I was familiar oh, with. Huh. Interesting. And he's great. I like, I I watched, like him. Yeah, because I, I watched the show. I think I saw the show before I ever saw maybe any of the movies. So the storyline is, to avoid a year in jail, swimming pool cleaner Morris Buttermaker agrees to coach a Little League baseball team called the Bears. Unfortunately, the Bears are the worst team in the league. Boasting a roster of the most inept and least disciplined players in school, Buttermaker, with the help of Principal Rappant, eventually wins the respect to the Bears, and they even win a few games along the way. That's just a, a user-submitted synopsis on uh, IMDb. So, so, yeah. A little closer to the Mighty Ducks uh, premise. Right, which is exactly how he ends up coaching, might, coaching the Ducks. Mighty, I would say Mighty Ducks is probably the closest thing to a yeah and mighty ducks is great yeah absolutely yeah. mighty ducks is fantastic but even in mighty ducks doesn't he he brings in is there a girl the girl's already on the team there are or there is a girl there, on the team he doesn't like just know a a young girl the way that like buttermaker knew amanda 
Well, because I guess he was dating his mother. And by the way, that's another another big difference between the original and the remake, just to jump back for a moment, is mm-hmm. in the original, he mentions Amanda pretty early on because mm. he's telling a story. I think they cut, they cut into a scene and Engelberg is like, you can't, I can't believe you taught a girl to throw a pitch or whatever uh-huh. like that. And uh, so they, so he talks about her early on where, whereas in the remake, I didn't catch that. And I think there's less, there's less buildup in the remake that would make Amanda think that her mother would want to see Buttermaker again. Yeah. Because there's that yeah. whole thing that that comes up, and I think in the original, like there's a lot more Buttermaker talking about the good. T- they talk about the good times that they that they had, and mm-hmm. and all that, and it's a much more meaningful relationship in the, in yeah. the original. We don't have to convince anybody that the original is no. <laughs> better than the remake for Bad News Bears. Yeah. So just in case anyone was wondering where we stand on this, despite our respect and admiration for Richard Linklater. And by the way, if he did this movie so that he could make boy boyhood. Yeah. Br- then great. Glad it's thank, there. Good job, Richard Linklater. You made the right decision. So, yeah, yeah that's that. I think that's that's what we've got on the Bad News Bears. That's what we've got on the. Bad news bears. John, anything else you want to throw in there? Any other pitches you want to? Uh, you know what? Not Got really. Any curveballs? I, I enjoyed, you know, watching the original and uh, I don't know, the, the remake had its moments, but. But that original, but the original is worth taking, especially if it's one that you might dismiss because of uh, that, that kind of stigma of it being stuck in the seventies in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. I would suggest looking at it again, giving yeah. it a second look, because this movie is really much more about inclusion and teamwork than a lot of other sports movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Dan, at the beginning of the episode, we were talking about Ace Ventura and how that one has an ending that is pretty cringeworthy nowadays. Why don't you talk about the movie we're going to discuss in the next episode, which has a very similar thing going on? Yes. So we're entering September. We all need a laugh. So we're going to talk about some comedies and we are going to kick it off with another slobs versus snobs mm-hmm. uh, classic 1984's yeah. Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Looking forward to revisiting that one. It's been a while. Another Anthony Edwards joint. <laughs> and. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful well no there's a, that that cast has a, has a lot of standouts uh curtis armstrong curtis armstrong We're, so uh, wonderful we'll talk about it on the next yeah uh, of the next course episode. we will until then i bid you a good journey good journey So try a 
Emily. Hi, Mr. Devane. How much you getting for lemonade? Ten dollars. <laughs> Ten dollars. Now that's some serious inflation. These days you can really feel the effects of inflation. Gas is ten times more expensive than it used to be. Even groceries cost you an arm and a leg. How do I protect myself against inflation like this? I buy gold from Roslyn Capital. Gold protects my purchasing power against runaway inflation. And it's the only currency I trust. Thanks, Mr. Devane. I like supporting small businesses. So protect yourself from outrageous inflation. Buy gold from Roslyn Capital. What's in your safe? <laughs>